James, you got your coffee? Okay. All right. If you guys need a Bible, just raise your hand. And James is up, and he's got his mailman delivery shoes on, and he's ready to uh, deliver some Bibles if you need a Bible to follow along with us. We are in Judges chapter 18 and 19 tonight. And uh, I'll have to say right off the bat, not my favorite chapters I'd like to teach on. (laughs) And so uh, you'll see as we go along, but it's like, what if I just come and say, okay, you guys read it and then we'll go home. (laughs) We've got to get the whole counsel of God. So Judges chapter 18 tonight and 19. pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for your word, because everything within your word is there for a purpose, Lord, and a reason for our lives today, presently. And Lord, as we uh, glean from your word tonight, Lord, even things, uh, learning what things not to do, Lord, uh, we, we thank you for it, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you in song and as we've just done this evening, Lord, and we do exalt you and we exalt your name and we lift you up and we praise you for being such a, an amazing God, Lord, the only true God that watches over us and takes care of us and has a plan and a purpose for us. And we thank you for all those things. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather. We pray, Lord, you'd bless our time in your word. And we give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for the first 16 chapters of Judges, the focus was on those that the Lord raised up to deliver Israel. And we talked about this a little last time. God raised up Othiniel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson, as we saw last time. But as we started chapter 17 to the end of the book, these last few chapters of Judges, the emphasis changes. These stories are recorded for us to teach us what happens when we turn away from the authority of God's Word and to turn to some kind of religious humanistic philosophy. And uh, a verse which is repeated twice in these chapters that we'll, we'll see, uh, have seen, is, is the key to not only this section of Scripture, but the entire book of Judges. And we've talked about this as we began even in, in chapter 1. Verse, chapter, six, chapter 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his or her eyes. And, and you know, it's the same thing today in our society, in our culture, you know, uh, we hear, well, everyone must determine what is right for him personally. You know, hey, what's right for me may not be right for you, man. And, and there, there, there's absolutely no absolutes. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, the entire universe is governed by absolutes. You know, I mean, one of which is gravity. Go ahead and try and bend it. Try and bend the laws of gravity. I don't think that law has changed. Hey, you know, as long as I've been around, if you still jump off a bridge, you're still going to go down, not up. And if you do it without a parachute, you'll end up at the very least bruised up and bloody or the very worst dead. And, and that's what we see in chapter 18. We, we read of a people are just falling and falling without a parachute because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. We looked at last time in chapter 17, a man named Micah who mixed idolatry with serving God within his house. And although he thought he was doing right, it was all in his own eyes. Never once did he seek the Lord and say, Lord, should I be doing this? Should I be setting this up? In fact, we saw in verse 5 of chapter 17, the man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. I started a whole little uh, 
temple inside his home. You know, I'm going to do this in home, and I'm going to get my own little priest, and get my own little, you know, idol, and put this here, and, and, and this is perfect, and it's going to be great. May look very great on the outside, and maybe had a lot of, you know, tourist attraction coming in to see it, but, but it is a homemade worship of, of man. You know, basically is all it was, it, uh, these idols. And, and now what made it so terrible, it wasn't just the worship of false uh, gods like Baal, but rather he was trying to worship the true God through the idols that they made. Now this is important because as we come to chapter 18, as ridiculous as it sounds, the leaders from the tribe of Dan is going to take away what Micah had. So it'd be like, and this is the way I looked at it, it'd be like those from the Mormon church breaking into the Catholic church and stealing all the statues and stealing one of the priests. You just go, no, 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 this is, this is just so wrong in so many levels. Because they, they, they need to seek the truth and need to seek God, but instead they're seeking to benefit themselves and leave God out of the equation. So that we begin in verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until their day their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. Now, the Danites should not have been seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. Because in Joshua chapter 19, verses 39 through 48, it describes the inheritance that the tribe of Dan received. The problem was they had not trusted God uh, enough to give them the victory over the Amorites. The Amorites lived in the valley in the land there. In fact, in chapter 1 of Judges uh Verse 34, it said, Then the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the valley. So instead of trusting God for the victory, the Danites are going out searching for some other land. Land that maybe some other weaker inhabitants are, are there, maybe fewer opponents. Are, let's go get them. They're looking for greener pastures. See, God put uh, a, a place where he wanted each tribe to be, and for the tribe of Dan to reject God's assigned territory, and covet some other place that was opposed to his will for them. But isn't that what causes most trouble in our, our society today? Instead of submitting to God's will, people want what somebody else has. Well, I like that. Well, the grass is green over here. I want this over there. And they'll do almost anything to get it. Look at verse 2. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtael, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah, and lodged there. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? And he said to them, Thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. So, we have leaders from the tribe of Dan coming to Micah's house, and they recognize the voice of this young Levite. Remember, Micah had hired this man as a priest to, to serve his makeshift little idol worship center. What's interesting is that this young Levite is honest when they ask about him. He says, well, yeah, I was walking along and this guy made me an offer for a job, so I took it. No, no, there was a call in my life. God directed me here. You know, God spoke to me and, and I walked this way. No, this guy hired for me and I started working for him. You know what that's called? It's called a hireling. A hireling. You know, let me say this. A true priest isn't a hireling. Uh, you know, true priest is a, is a calling. Now, and we see hirelings in, in the church today, someone looking for the best salary, the best benefits, the best retirement. It has nothing to do with a call in a person's life or not. But the trouble with that is a person like that is they're always susceptible to a better offer somewhere else. You know, something better off comes along and see you guys, you know, they're, they're out of here. 
And you should be sure once they get a better offer, there's no loyalty to you. They're gone. Well, that offer is going to come when we get down to verse 19, but we're not there yet. Look at verse 5. So they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we will go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. Wait a minute. Did you read anywhere where he inquired of the Lord? They said, inquire of God if what we're doing is okay, that it'll be blessed. And he says, okay, go for it. <laughs> really? You know, this is something that, that we need to be aware of, that we don't practice ourselves by accident. What I mean by that is, is that we don't automatically tell people that everything's going to be okay. Because sometimes everything isn't okay. Sometimes it can get worse. Sometimes the person dies. Sometimes God is doing a work in a person's life that we just don't understand. Now, certainly we can tell them Romans 8, 28. We understand the sovereignty of God. We try to encourage them, but we don't always know what God is doing in someone else's life. So the best thing that we could do is to tell them that we'll pray for them and, and then do it. Pray. And then pray for them. But again, with this Levite, we see his true nature. We see the difference between a shepherd and a hireling, a, a priest who doesn't pray to hear the heart of God. But simply telling, he's simply telling these guys what they want to hear. You know, should we go? Is God going to be with you? Yeah, God's with you. They wanted to hear that. Again, just a hireling uh, who's directed by the sheep is supposed to be, he's supposed to be directing. He doesn't love them enough to tell them the truth. And as soon as things get rough, he, he bells. You know, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, where he said, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. You can find many pastors today that have the same heart as this Levite dad, men who will tell their congregations what they want to hear, you know, men who, who, who claim to be representatives of God yet never reveal the true heart of God because they themselves don't know it, because they're not searching the Lord to hear the heart of God. God was not giving approval to the tribe of Dan to take land elsewhere. His desire was that they, they took the land that, that he gave them in the first place, that they would fight against the Amorites in the area that he'd already given them. But again, this priest is nothing but a hireling and a false prophet. Now look at verses 7 through 10. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely, and the men of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtel, and the brethren said to them, What is your report? So they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do you not hesitate to go and enter the, to possess the land? When you go, you will come to secure people and a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. This is untrue. God had not given them this land. They equated the ease of their effort with the leading of God. And I think that, that all too often we can find ourselves in the flesh doing the same thing. Claiming something to be God's direction in our lives when we're really it's our own self really wanting something so bad that we say, oh, it's from the Lord. Look how easy I was able to get this financing. Zero percent down, zero percent for five years. This has got to be from the Lord. Look how easy this has got. What about all those other bills that you, you, you owe? Well, you know, yeah, you know, I, I know, but, but look, look how easy I qualified for this loan. Listen, God isn't always into easy, okay? 
Just because it, it's easy, it doesn't mean it's the will of God. You still need to pray. You still need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, is this what you'd have for me? Because God may have something better for you. Well, look at verse 11. And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah and Eshtael, armed with weapons of war. Then they went up and encamped in kirjath Jerim in Judah. Therefore they called the place Mahanad-Dan to this day. There it is, west of kirjath Jerim. And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. And we know who Micah is. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now therefore consider what you should do. So they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men, armed with their weapons of war, who were the children of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. So here they are. They're coming back to, to, uh, to Micah's house. And, and we know the scenario there. And, and they're about to make Micah an offer he can't refuse. I mean, they, they want to take this priest for himself. Look at verse 17. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up. Entering there, they took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the, the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. When these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? <laughs> I love it. And they said to him, Be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest in the tribe and a family of Israel. Uh, I mean, we see this. You know, it's, it's the hiring thing. You, 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 you want to stay here in your small little tiny church or you want to come to our really big church? Come on, come follow us. Uh, the, really, the real answer here is, is it's better to be in the will of God than either place. But he wasn't. But you can see this whole thing is just a work of the flesh. Dan shouldn't have been where they were at. The priest shouldn't have been where he was at. But they convinced each other that they're both in the will of God. Verse 20. So the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image and took his place among the people. He thought, cool, I got a promotion. Again, he's just a hireling, you know, looking for something better to come along. And, and I think he probably also thought that God somehow was, was honoring what he was doing. Oh, look how this happened. He's given me this better offer. This has got to be, be, be of God. But, but how could it be of God when you're mixing idolatry with the worship of the one true God? But again, we see his heart. He thought, wow, much better to be a priest of a large congregation than a small one. In reality, he was no priest at all because he did not tell the people the things that they most needed to hear. And it's more than just sad when, when ministers like that use uh, people to gain greater success for themselves by telling people what they want to hear. Well, look at verse 21. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. When they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you that you have gathered such a company? So he said, You have taken away my gods which I have made and the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say to me, What ails you? And the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you, and you lose your life with the life of your household. Then the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. So, so Micah and his neighbors, they go chasing after the army of the Danites, but, but I don't think they really thought through their whole plan. The Danites turn around and, and they say, Yeah, so what's your problem? 
And Micah says, well, you, you robbed me. And their response, so what? Shut your mouth or we're going to kill you and, and your family. So they go, oh, okay, sorry. And they turn around and they, and they go back, you know, just weak, defeated, and, and went home. But see, if Micah had known the Lord in truth, if Micah had been a man of faith, 600 men would have been nothing to him. I mean, if he had been defending a righteous cause, he could have been very victorious. But, but again, in reality, this was a conflict between two ungodly parties, and God was on neither side. Micah wanted it all. He wanted the riches and the religion and the respectability, but he lost all three. Lost his, his idols, you know, that were, were worth a lot of money. He lost his God. He lost his respectability. And when he had to back down in front of his neighbors, he lost it all. Why? Because he was doing what was right in his own eyes. And it was very wrong. We have to be careful not to move upon what we think is right in any given situation. We must always seek the Lord in all things great and small and not trust our own you know, wisdom, not lean on our own understanding. Seek wisdom, seek guidance and direction from God about every matter. So verse 21. So they took things Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him and went to Laish to a people quite insecure and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley there that belongs to Beth Rehob. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there and they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan their father who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. They literally slaughtered the people of Laish, burned the city down and settled there, and they renamed the city Dan. And then we see in verse 30, they, they become terrible idolaters. Look at verse 30. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershon, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Now here's what's interesting. This Levite priest... This hireling that decided that the grass would be greener with the Danites. Suddenly we find out who he really is. We read here that in verse 30 that his name is Jonathan. And that he's the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh. Now some Bible uh, commentators say that the correct name for Manasseh here is Moses. And that, that Jonathan is the grandson of Moses. Which if it's really the case, you just see how far these people have moved away from God. Remember that Moses had said, speaking for the Lord in Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And if, if it's, it's a true here, then, then Moses' grandson is a priest making idols. It's just tragic. But it all goes back down to not seeking the Lord. And, and I think even in our own nation, when we stop seeking the Lord, that's when you see religious apostasy really starting to grow. And, and before you know it, 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 it our country is going to be just like it was in the time of the judges. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. I like the way Warren Wearsby closes out this chapter. He says this in his commentary. The account of Micah, Jonathan, and the Danites is more than a story from ancient history. It's a revelation of the wickedness of our human heart and the hopelessness of human society without God. Our modern world has substituted idols for the true and living God and has devised its own humanistic religion, complete with priests, the experts who tell us that the Bible is wrong, but their way is right. But neither their idols nor their priests have any power against the violence of the human heart. End quote. Now, can begin chapter 19. And I would say out of all the chapters in the Bible, <laughs> the last three of the book of Judges are the worst. 
And like I said already, part of me wants to say, okay, read it, and we'll see you guys next week. But no, we're, we're going to go through this because God's called me to, to, to teach the whole counsel of God. But by far, what we're about to read is pure evil. It's wicked. It's shocking. At the very least, it should be shocking. I think, sadly, we've, we've witnessed so much murder and violence and sexual immorality on the big screen that the stuff we're reading about isn't as shocking as it should be. But, but the story should disturb us. It should make us sick. Never should have happened in the first place, but again, we understand why. Because, you know, look at verse 1 of chapter 19. It tells us, And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. See, again, God should have been the king in Israel. His word should have been the law that governs society, but the people were doing their own thing. If they had forsook their, their idols, if the elders of Israel would have consulted God's law, obeyed God for His glory, Israel could have been governed successfully as a great nation by God. But because it wasn't, that there's competition and confusion and death and destruction, all because of what we read over and over again. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. Look again at all of verse 1 of chapter 19. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem and Judah. Now, the difference between a wife and a concubine was probably in the absence of the right of a bill of divorce. A concubine was like a piece of property and would generally be either a Hebrew girl bought of her father, maybe a Gentile captive taken in war, a foreign slave bought or a Canaanite woman bond or free. But, but the rights of the first two were protected by law, but the third was unrecognized, and the fourth was absolutely prohibited. Needless to say, this Levite should not have had a concubine in the first place, being a Levite. He was supposed to be set apart to serve the Lord. And even though Lord, the Lord gave instructions for the one who had a concubine, it was not God's will. But because the people were already practicing this, God had placed certain regulations on it, but it had never been, nor will be, God's will for a man to have multiple wives. Uh, you know, this is what, what I'm saying here. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 19:8. Moses, because of the hardness of their hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. God's plan, always been, for one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. Not one man plus one woman plus a concubine wife. That was never God's plan. And we'll see that it was never God's plan for sex outside of marriage either. And this is all going to result in terrible consequences. Because what we'll see in chapter 19 is a result of what happens when you leave God out of the equation of your life. Now look at verse 2. But his concubine, concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. <laughs> Duh. I mean, what do you expect? One sinful relationship leads to another sinful relationship. When it says she played the harlot against him, it means she found someone else to have sexual relations with. So this Levite's getting a, a dose of his own medicine. She leaves the, that guy now, moves back to her dad's house. Now this is where the story should have ended. The Levite should have said, you know what, I should have had a concubine in the first place. I'm just going to stay here, do what, I, what God's called me to do. But he doesn't do that. See, the flesh of man, the lust of the flesh was so strong for him that he did what he thought was right in his own eyes and as a result, it's going to be deadly. So in verse 3, he tries to, to make it up to her. He tries to bring her back. Look at verse 3. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with them. So she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. 
Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. So apparently she agrees to reconcile. Things seem to be going well until her father gets overly involved. And who knows what the reason was that he wanted uh, them to stay. Maybe he felt that he had some keen insight into their relationship that might help them, or maybe because he liked having his daughter around again, or maybe because the Levite was a seemingly religious man. He thought, maybe uh, I get some, some brownie points with God if I have this guy around. Uh, or maybe he just was playing meddling in the relationship. Now, now, based on what happens next, I kind of think the dad was just meddling. In fact, they say that one of the biggest problems in a marriage relationship can be in-law problems because couples don't leave and cleave like God's Word tells them to do. I think there'd be a lot less marriage problems if the couples didn't always go running to their prospective parents every time they had an argument. I mean, think about it. What side are the in-laws going to take? I mean, it's always going to be their own kid's side, you know, except my in-laws. They'll take my side over my wife's. But, but anyway... Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Working for brownie points. But anyway, I mean, for the most part, unless they really understand their own kids and realize that we're all sinners, there's going to be problems. Well, this Levite, he tries to leave, but then he's getting talked in the stave even longer. Look at verse 5. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterwards go your way. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Oh, please be content to stay all night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he rose in the early morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, the both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father said to him, Look, the day is now drawing towards evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may get home. However, the man was not willing to spend that night, so he rose and departed and came opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. With him were the two saddle donkeys. His concubine was also with them. So they tried to leave on day four of their stay but was convinced to stay another night. That happened again and again until finally said, that's it, I'm leaving. Now, they ended up leaving in the evening, which is not a good idea. It was dangerous to travel at night. They didn't have chariots with self-locking doors that time. You know, they couldn't sleep in their car if they had to. So this father-in-law makes one last-ditch effort. Hey, yo, come on, just stay one more night. Verse 9, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that it may get home. Now, if it were my daughter, I wouldn't want them leaving at night either because I cared about my daughter. But this dad seems to care more about partying than his own kid. Yeah, let's party one more night, you know, to party on. And, and, and you know, the, the, he refuses, makes more bad choices. We'll see. Look at verse 11. So they were near Jebus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, come, please, and, and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into the city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there to go into lodge in Gibeah, and when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Now, to come to into a city at night and to not have anyone invite you to stay with them should have been a sign for them, keep moving. Don't stop, keep going. It was, it was kind of a breach of social etiquette to, to not uh, receive a traveler. 
I mean, they didn't have holiday inns back then, and so this was very shocking, and, 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 or should have been. But what made this even worse is that the traveler, we looked at already, he's, he's a Levite. And because the Levites, uh, as a whole, depended upon the hospitality of fellow Jews, he being shunned was not good. So a couple of bad signs going on here. Uh, but again, it just shows how far the nation had gone at this point, no longer caring for the needs of others, everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. And this isn't going to turn out so good for them. Look at verse 16. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place, the men of the place were Benjamites. Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? So he said, and we are passing from Bethlehem to Judah towards the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem of Judah. Now I'm going to the house of the Lord, but there's no one who will take me into his house. Although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and for the young man who is with your servant, there's no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So the old man is, is, is from the same area that they're from and, and he asks about the situations. He explains them to them and he says, don't spend the night in the square. I'll take care of you. My house is your house. Mikasa Sukasa. Verse 21. So he brought him into his house, gave fodder to the donkeys and they washed their feet and ate and drank. And, and it seems as though they're safe. But just then a knock comes on the door and you remember in Sodom and Gomorrah this wasn't a good knock. Look at verse 22. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. So now we find the very thing that God judged Sodom and destroyed it is happening even among his own people there in the tribe of Benjamin. The very same thing that happened when the angels came into the house of Lot and Sodom and the men of the city, you know, circled the house and said, send them out that we might know them or that we might have sexual relations with them or homosexual relations with them. And now these perverted men in verse 22 beat on the door. They want homosexual relations with, with this Levite. So it's just, it's giving you the, the moral uh, insight into the moral decay of Israel during the period of the judges, uh, again, into the whole cultural scene. These Benjamin, uh, Benjamites, like those in Sodom and Gomorrah, went down the path of immorality towards homosexuality. We say God's word over and over. It's clear, regardless of what our, our social uh, media likes to say, homosexuality is a sin. Uh, here, these, old, these, these, these homosexuals demand that the old men give them the Levite for their sexual satisfaction. This guy's response, though, uh, appalling. It really is the same response that Lot gave it in Genesis 19. The old man offers them the woman from the household rather than the man. Now, 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 culturally, a host was supposed to protect any man that had been invited to stay under his roof, even if it cost him his own life. But that didn't hold up for women. So this man, now we'll see, is offering his woman to the crowd that was the lesser of two evils and will fulfill his cultural obligation to protect the Levite. Let me say this. The host valued hospitality over his own daughter's life and he valued hospitality over the Levite's concubine, as we'll see. And this is where we get to one of the worst stories in all of Scripture. Look at verse 24. He says, look, here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them 
And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Horrible. Sick. Sad. Benjamites, uh, they, they gang raped this poor woman all night long, resulting, as, as we'll see, in her death. Now, the law of God says that a rapist should be killed. Not prison time, not community service, but death. Deuteronomy 22, verse 25 and 26 says, But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But she shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. Understand, God doesn't condemn the victim. She's innocent, but the man is to be killed. He's guilty of a violent crime in God's eyes, the same as murder. I tell you this, if there was a death penalty for rape in our culture today, I mean, you'd see sexual cut, uh, you know, assault drop dramatically. Every one of these Benjamite guys who committed this atrocity should have been killed for their crime. But here's what's worse. Not only did the Levite surrender his concubine to prevent the, the perverted, uh, uh, to the perverted appetites of this ungodly mob, he also was able to lie down that night, go to sleep while they were abusing her all night long. Didn't give her a second thought. I mean, how callous can a man become? And how naive was he to expect that, that she would be alive the next morning? Look at verse 26. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. When her master rose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let's be going. But there's no answer. So the man lifted her under the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. Now don't read any further yet. We'll get to it. The woman, after she's been attacked, uh, released, died from the injury sustained from the attack. But it's like this, this Levite he just kind of, kind of kicks her and says, come on, woman, let's get going. See, she's dead, throws her over the top of, back of his donkey and leaves. I mean, this guy is just as guilty, if not worse, than the ones that committed the horrendous crime. Now, some might say, yeah, but, but you know, she was a concubine. She deserved what she got. No way. No one deserves what happened to her any more than you can say of a woman raped on a college campus. She, well, she dressed provocatively, and so she deserved what she got. No one deserves such a terrible acts of violence against a human being. That's why I say this should be appalling to us. We should think how terrible it is. But in reality, you know, it's no different than today. I saw, I read that every two and a half minutes, someone is a victim of sexual assault in America. According to citydata.com, there were 731 registered sex offenders living in Springfield as of September 3rd, 2018. That's just a few days ago. You see, we may not see it clearly as what we read here in Judges, but it's out there. Now, in verse 29, it goes from bad to worse. This Levite has his ex-concubine on the back of the donkey. He gets home with a look at verse 29. When he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. I mean, how sick can you get? Verse 30, and so it was that all who saw it said, no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. And they will, but they will not seek the Lord. But rather they're going to respond with more violence and more killing among themselves because they were all doing what was right in their own eyes. What a, what a sad picture when we see man leaving God out of the equation. 
We've seen a, a man who, was, who thought he was doing right in, in, those, in his own eyes, protecting his guests, yet it cost the life of a woman. We see a, a Levite who was doing right in his own eyes by seeking retaliation in a gruesome way, which results in more violence. And next week, as we finish up the book of Judges, we'll see the entire nation of Israel doing right in their own eyes in response to this tragedy resulting in thousands upon thousands of people dying. Each scene is getting darker and darker and darker as the glory of God is shunned. And this, this lesson in all of us is how terrible life we would all have if we did what was right in our own eyes. And how we need to keep drawing close to the Lord, drawing near to Him day after day, always moving stronger and closer into our relationship with the Lord. I try to end on, on, a, on a good positive note. You know, it's like, like this is horrible, this is terrible. You know? But listen, let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's look at how good God is in our lives and be encouraged that as we seek the Lord, He'll bless our lives and, and we don't have to live this way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for getting us through a tough section of Scripture, Father, a section that, that is not pretty. But it just shows us uh, what a world is like apart from you, how deceitful men's hearts can be, how deceived men's hearts can be. And Father, we pray, Lord, that in everything we do, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, your ways, knowing, Lord, that as we seek you first, everything else will be added to us. We have that peace, that joy of knowing you, knowing that we're doing your will and living for you, Lord God. Father, we do pray for our nation. We pray for, for uh, that, the, a revival, Lord, that, that the men would not, women would not be doing what's right in their own eyes. We pray that you'd be glorified in our nation. We pray for revival. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this time tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and do one last song.